0: Welcome to Language During Mealtime. Certified speech-language pathologist and children's book author, Becca Eisenberg, brings you creative professionals from the language learning and children's education field. With these ideas, parents can help their children with special needs improve language and reading abilities.
1: Hi, my name is Becca Eisenberg. Welcome to my podcast, Language During Mealtime, episode number 16. Today, I will be interviewing Stephanie Sorkin. Stephanie Sorkin is the award-winning author of Nutley, the Nut-Free Squirrel, Chocolate Shoes with Licorice Laces, and Frenemy Jane, the Sometimes Friend. She is a member of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and she also donates a portion of her book proceeds to various charities supporting children. Ms. Sorkin has appeared in the New York Times Styles section and written numerous articles for national publications. As a food allergy advocate, she spends her time visiting schools in the tri-state area, discussing the inspiration behind her books and the importance of creativity. For more information or to inquire about a school visit, please visit her website at stephaniesorkin.com. You can also find her on social media on Twitter at Steph Sorkin. So thank you so much for being here, Stephanie.
0: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. So, Stephanie and I have known each other for a really long time, and um, I've always been such a fan of all of your books. And so, they're the books that I refer back to all the time, and we'll talk about it today. So, Stephanie has three books that she's written. She also has another book that is in the works, and she'll be talking about that today. So, I guess we just want to start with the first question. I just want to talk, because I know the um, Nutley, the Nut-Free Squirrel, And, you know, you being an allergy advocate, I just want to talk a little bit more about what inspired you to write that book.
0: Okay. So um, when I wrote Nutley, the Nut-Free Squirrel, um, I was inspired by, at the time, one of my children, little did I know that my other two children had food allergies brewing, but um, at the time it was written as a bedtime story for my daughter, Mallory, who may have been two at the time when I wrote it. And I just really started saying it out loud. And then it started making sense. It had a beginning, a middle and an end. And she wanted to hear it every night. And then it turned into an actual story. And I was very excited to share it with other people because I felt like it gave Nutley, the main character, this kind of power to feel that they shouldn't be ashamed of, he shouldn't be ashamed of having food allergies. Instead, he should share the news with his friends and his community so that they could support him. So right. this is, yeah. Yeah, it's basically about friendship, acceptance, in, inclusion and supporting somebody and things that sometimes might make you different or make you feel different could be your biggest asset. So with Nutley, that's really the, the um, overall theme of the book.
1: And also, can you just tell me a little bit about, um, what you do with, you know, as an allergy advocate, like what you're doing with that and also with the books, I know you've participated in like a lot of events and I know the book has also helped a lot of kids understand their own allergies.
0: Yeah. So with Nutley, um, I'll just mention that I do donate 100% of the book proceeds. So when I came up with this idea, um, just that it turned into a story, um, I said to myself, what would, besides the fact that it's, I think the characters, the illustrations are adorable, the story is set in rhyme, in verse, and um, it's also, it's very relatable for young children to say, wow, I have allergies also, and it, it's, it encourages them. But um, I also, when I came up with the idea to donate the proceeds, I said to myself, people donate money to charity all the time, what, what could be better than also getting this book for your children. So um, things that I do as a food allergy advocate, I do visit schools and talk to the children about food allergy safety, um, how to keep things to do in the classroom. I talk to the teachers about keeping the children safe and not sharing food, washing your hands after eating. Um, What to do if you think a friend has accidentally ingested an allergen I give the kids tips. I give the teachers information and um, also about how to include a child rather than alienating them. I'm a big advocate as far as I think you should put the kids that do bring nuts, put them at a separate table or bring, you know, the children that bring the allergen, they, maybe they could go at a separate table rather than taking a child who didn't ask for this allergy. Why put them at a separate table like it's a punishment? So those are some yeah. things that I talk about at schools.
1: No, I, I actually agree with you. Cause I remember my son who's allergic to a couple of different tree nuts. And he was, he was telling me once that he got put at a separate table and he's like, I don't want to sit at the allergy table, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, Oh, I didn't know you were at the allergy table. Um, but it's, but it is true because a lot of times too, when it comes to like the class snack, um, the, you know, the kids just get, so to separate, they don't get the treat. Um, I know that they give them the option of kind of bringing something, but I I also think just kind of discussing it with your child too about kind of, I know a lot of parents do that. They kind of, if a birthday's coming up, they'll talk about it. Maybe they'll have the child like, you know, pick the treat that they want to bring in. Um, one of the things that we do now is if we're going to make like a treat is that we include all the ingredients in there. And so that also helps a lot of, I guess it, it depends on each situation, each school. Um, but that helps a lot with regards to the kids, like all being able to to eat the treat if they want to, or if right. they're allowed to.
0: Yeah, I have visited schools that um, some of them didn't even allow a birthday treat. They They did away with birthday treats. I'm not saying that that is something that I'm a fan of, because even if your child has multiple allergies, my daughter is allergic to so many foods, but there are things that I can make for her that are delicious and that are attractive looking and that are great. So I don't even think that for me, it's not necessary to totally get rid of the birthday treat. And even I'll take it one step further. I never would ask a parent, you know, it's your child's birthday. Could you make sure my daughter could also eat it? I really was never on that um, wavelength, but I do know parents like that and I support it. I, I get it, but I happen to not, you know, hopefully it stays this way, but my daughter was always cooperative. So she was happy to bring her own and she just didn't want to have an allergic reaction. So she was thrilled that she was bringing a cupcake in another little separate box. She really, it really didn't bother her. But when I think about that, there are children that in that same position that maybe would feel terrible about it. So there is, I think it really depends on the classroom. It depends on the atmosphere it depends on how the teacher doesn't say, let's say, draw attention and say, wow, everyone, look what Michael brought. And then your child's sitting over in a chair, looking down at their Tupperware container.
1: Right, right, right. No, I totally, I know that's like a big topic in a lot of schools about the birthday treat. So in, I think with regard to my experience as a parent, you know, they've always done the birthday treat, but they've always been careful about, you know, making sure that there's no, you know, like that, the child, the child with the allergy, has an extra treat with them. And I know for my son, he never cared because I always gave him like those Hostess cupcakes, which he uh-huh. loves. Um, so <laughs> he never cared. But I do know, like I could see other, like other children, like being upset about it. Or let's say maybe their parents forgot or they didn't know, and they don't have a treat. Um, so anyway, but yeah. um, but I do want to move on to your other books because I know you have two. Well, actually, you have two other books to discuss as well as. Um, as well as your new book coming out. So I do want to get into talking about Frenemy Jane, the sometimes friend. And I also want to mention that it won the Indie Award as well. And it's it's such a fantastic book. And maybe you could just talk a little bit about what the book is about and a little bit about the impact on the readers.
0: Okay, so Frenemy Jane is a term that I coined many, many years ago. Um, I would say about... Going over ten years, so the book came out in 2015. But it was a term that I was using it. Around, I was using around my house the quote unquote not so much friend of me Jane, but sometimes friends because one of my children had a friend who was adorable looking. And the only reason I mention that is sometimes the child who's engaging in bullying behavior may quote unquote look like a bully. Which at least when we were growing up, that's how it was. The child was taller than everyone, wearing a leather jacket, had a mean expression on their face. Those days are over. A a child that engages in this behavior could look like anyone. It, I don't think you have to look a certain way. So, my daughter's friend was adorable. So let's just that's part of the story. But her behavior, she would. It was like one day she was everything was great, and then the next day she would say. If you don't pick me as your partner, then I'm not your friend anymore. If you play with so and so on the playground, then I'm not going to be your best friend. Or she would give her the silent treatment and turn her back because sometimes, especially with girls, it's body language rather than things that they say. Or let's say physical. It's sometimes it's just body language or pulling another child away and leaving the third child standing there. So, friend me, Jane. Um, I think it's had a great impact on students. I do have a question section at the back of the book and teachers have told me that that's been very helpful in their classroom because some of the questions, I'll just turn to that page and give you an example, An example, but um, something here, question number three, did Maddie do something to deserve bullying? So Maddie was the one on the receiving end of the bullying. And the question is, does she do something to deserve it? And in some ways, The child who's receiving it might think, wow, well, if I wore the right sneakers to school, maybe people wouldn't bully me. Or if I had a more outgoing personality, or if I was funnier, or if only I laughed at this person with the strong personality, if only I always laughed at her jokes. And that's the truth is you never deserve bullying. So this question, I love when I go to a school visit and I ask this question to the classroom because... The answers, you know, it's the full gamut. It runs a very wide range of answers saying, yeah, Maddie deserved the bullying. And then some other kids will say, absolutely not. You should never be bullied. And I tell the kids when I go, of course, I tell the kids when I go to the class, there's no wrong answer because I do want to hear everything that they have to say. And it's all subjective. So that child who thought maybe Maddie did deserve bullying, by the end of my presentation, I hope that they understand that she should not have. Um, no one deserves
1: bullying. It's, so, it's such a relatable story. And it's something, so, you know, my kids are older now, but we still refer to the sometimes friend because I think that even could even happen as an adult where you'll, you know, let's say, meet somebody or you have a friend that's going to be nice sometimes, but then other times when they're with somebody else, they're not nice, you know, or they act different. And so, and I always say, you know, cause if like, let's say like my kids will ask me, Oh, well, are you good friends with this person or whatever it is? Um, and sometimes I'll even not refer to that person, but I might say, well, you know, I don't really, I don't, I need friends that are everyday friends, right? right. That are friends every day and that it doesn't matter who they're with. So you know, just even explaining to my own kids that, you know, when somebody's your friend, they're your friend when they're with other friends. They're your friend when you see them alone. They're your friends when they're at school, as well as they're your friend when they come over for a play date because they should be your friend all the time. And that's like, that's a real true friend. And for somebody that's a sometimes friend, because you've, your book literally has helped so much. I literally refer to it all the time that it's confusing. Are they going to be your friend today or are they not? Right. And I, it's such a relatable thing because I think also particularly with girls is that a lot of the stuff that's happening in the book, like let's say the silent treatment or not choosing that person on a particular day for like to play with um, is things that do regularly happen. And it's confusing for a child. I mean, it's and then what do you do about it? And what I like about your book is that it really kind of walks through right. You know, a situation of what you might do, and I mean, the first thing is to be able to talk about it for sure. Um, but I think just sometimes, even for kids, recognizing that somebody is a sometimes friend right. is really like the first step, and being like, "Hey, okay, is this really a friend that I want?" And I love the the fact that we label the name because I think it really represents something that just occurs. I think throughout a lifetime too. Like it's not just it doesn't happen when you're kids, you right. know? Just sure.
0: Absolutely if, if if anything the situation might even um get worse as an adult. I mean there are situations in the workplace where mm-hmm. there's like let's say the um water cooler, you know, people crowd around the water cooler mm-hmm. and there's there are those people at the office. I don't want to use the term bully because You know, in in um, Frenemy Jane, what I try not to do is label the children as far as labeling them with a negative label that may stick with them for, let's say, throughout their childhood years. So if you do label a child, let's say using bull, I try. And again, it's a conscious thing. I have to try. I'll be honest. But you you try what you try to do is use the term bully as a verb. So it's an action rather than a noun. So rather than saying he's a bully, she's a bully, it's really they're engaging in bully bullying behavior. Because the truth is, I'm sure you've seen it also, there were children that might have been a nightmare in first grade. And then by sixth grade, through positive reinforcement, through having a bunch of great teachers, through the parents hopefully getting involved, sometimes those children really know how to be a friend by sixth grade.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I love what you said about it being an action and not a noun. Because it is true. I think that if we like label a specific person as a bully, then it's hard for them to get rid of that label. right? Right. And then it's people also are what you expect them to be. And I think that we want to avoid the label. What I like about the sometimes, friend, is that it's not like for me, it's not like really labeling a person. It's more like labeling like a situation or their relationship with that person, right? So your relationship, maybe they could be a good friend to somebody else, but to you, that person is just a sometimes friend that sometimes they're friends, sometimes they're not. Um, and
0: also so, really quickly, I just want to cover, I, I also throw around the term sometimes friends. I could tell you that I use it. I probably use it, if not daily, I use it all the time. People, you know, whether it's in conversations with my adult friends, whether it's in jokes <laughs> with my kids, It's much different calling somebody a sometimes friend than calling somebody a bully. Calling someone a sometimes friend, it's like you're almost using this term and you're making your kids comfortable with telling you about a situation. So they let their guard down a little bit because it has a catchy kind of like it's a catchphrase, I would call Mm -hmm. it. So I don't find it necessarily. I hope I'm not contradicting myself, but I don't I don't really find it to be. A label. It is. It is kind of negative. I mean, we know that when you call someone a sometimes friend, it's certainly not a compliment. But it's kind of a label. It's it's a, it's not a label. It's like a catchphrase, and I think it's a very good way to open up dialogue among young children.
1: And it could also be something I think that you could even, let's say, if the kids are old enough or even talking about it with the parents, maybe the child doesn't recognize that they're being a sometimes friend. Maybe they don't realize sometimes that their personality is changing with other kids. And I think that's also like just helps with self awareness as well. Like Uh if it's a really good friend, you know, I've had this before just growing up, right? Where you have a really good friend and then. As you get older, you know, things change a little bit. And even talking to them, well, sometimes you're, you know, you're nice to them when we're alone. But when you're with this person, you know, your, your personality changes. And so if it's a good enough friend and you're able to talk to them about it, um, then maybe that will change. Maybe they didn't, you know, realize how much their behavior changed with that. Or they realized that they could apologize, you know. So I think that there's like lots of different types of situations that could come about it. Um, but...
0: Right. I've anyway, also, I am. yeah. I just one last quick story is that I've had some parents write in um, to my website. If you go to my website, um, there's a contact me page, and some parents have said, "My child was Frenemy Jane," rather than you know they they came right out and said, "My child was the one engaging in the bullying behavior," and some of the kids were resistant to even re- listen to the full book because they saw where it was going, but. And the, the parents walked me through the whole scenario and said, "I please, thank you so much for writing this book. I commend you and this and that. And after, you know, sitting down with their child and finally getting them to listen, their behavior changed because they, they weren't self-aware. They didn't realize how hurtful it was to be nice to your really good friend every other day or to leave them out.
1: Yeah. And I think it's just also a part of growing up, like to be, some kids are more self-aware than others. And I also talk just all the time, just about perspective taking, like, what does it feel like? And that's also developing empathy. Like, what does it feel like for that other person when you act like that? You know, I think it's easier for some kids versus others to have like that perspective, but... It's so important. So I want to make sure to also talk about, because I know you have so many books and so many things to talk about. Uh, another one of my favorite books, Chocolate Shoes with Licorice Laces. I've read that book so many times to my kids that oh. I like probably haven't memorized. <laughs> um, because they just love the fact that like, you know, he gets to like eat all his, his shoes and like everything is chocolate, you know? Oh, um right. and for any of those like chocolate lovers out there, um, it's a great book. And so I just wanted to talk, maybe you could talk a little bit about the book, but also about the charity that you work with with that book as well.
0: Okay. So um With Chocolate Shoes with Licorice Laces, I decided to donate a portion of the proceeds to Souls for Souls. So if people are not familiar with Souls for Souls, it's an organization that donates new and gently used shoes to people in need, both domestically and internationally. So I thought it was a cute idea to tie in a shoe charity with this book chocolate shoes with licorice laces for the reason that um it's about shoes but it's about a child it's just a whimsical book and it's about a child whose mom puts him in chocolate shoes by accident and it's a silly book he he wears the shoes he doesn't know what to do his friends are asking if they could try them and um by the end the way he solves the problem is by eating the shoes so Some might look at this book as just whimsical and simplistic, but the truth is it's all about problem solving. So the child was faced with a problem. And to some, it might not seem like a problem because it's chocolate, but you can't really get very far wearing chocolate shoes. So um, he starts with the shoes and to solve the problem, he ate the shoes. At the end of all of my books, I include a recipe. So with chocolate shoes, I included a brownie recipe, with um, where you could use a cookie cutter shaped like a pair of shoes that you could just buy on Amazon, or you could just use a, a round drinking glass and decorate it with shoestring licorice.
1: It's so cute. I that love, yeah, sense. I love that book. So um, I just want to also make sure the last thing I want to talk about is your new book. So maybe you could talk a little bit about, about that. You know when it might be coming out and what it's about.
0: Okay, great. It's, um, the name of the book is Am I a Unicorn? And it's about a unicorn that falls down the stairs, breaks their horn, and then goes through a sort of an identity crisis because their outside doesn't match their inside. So something that we know that a lot of us struggle with is we feel one way, but maybe that way is not communicated on the, by the way we look, or it could be just something as we feel different, it could be something so simple as I like the Mets, but my entire group of friends likes the Yankees and they might give me a hard time about that. Sometimes kids are in a classroom of 20 children and they might, it might be something as small as that, or, or they don't play Fortnite and everyone else does and it makes them feel.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. So with, um, am I a unicorn? The unicorn struggles with it. And then finally at the end goes to a birthday party as let's say the the guest of honor, and then the kids are giving the unicorn a hard time saying, wait, you're not a unicorn. Unicorns have horns. And they're giving um, a hard time. It's, it's also a, a sort of a section of the book is sort of bullying, but um, it's only this small portion. So I think that bullying is probably repeated behavior over and over. But in the book, you'll see that it's definitely not nice what they're doing to the unicorn. And then finally, the unicorn says, I know what I, a horn is, does not make me a unicorn. And then it, um, sneezes and glitter comes out. It, it farts. It smells like cotton candy, you know, funny. It's, it gets very funny. And then, um, by the end, the birthday girl comes out and says, I believe in unicorns. I believe in you. And, and the unicorn is definitely, um, you know, satisfied with that at the end of the story. And then I have a recipe for tie-dye cupcakes at the end of the book.
1: Oh, I love tie-dye cupcakes, yes. <laughs> but yeah. uh, the book sounds fantastic. And I think there's also uh, like so many different ways that you could relate to that. And I think there are different ages as well, because I think, you know, even like as a, as adults, we're always trying to even just like, figure out our identity, what we want, what we're doing. And as we get older, I think your identity changes a little bit because especially as kids go through, you know, when they're like, they're little and then they're going through middle school. So I think there's a lot of different ways that you can interpret that about finding your identity and just being authentic. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think as adults, we have to be careful what we do because we might label children as far as, oh, Emma, this one's a, a troublemaker. Roger is, I'm, you know, making up names, but it's like, he's, he's, even if you say he's a jock, you know, when we were growing up, it was like, there were the jocks. There were, there were all these separate, yeah, different designations, the nerds, the, 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 you know, the rock, the kids that used to wear like rock t-shirts, this cool. yeah, but yeah. We, we all had these separate designations. And the truth is, just like you're saying, if you're... You change, you evolve as you get older. So whereas you could have been one way as a child, it doesn't mean that you're married to that for the rest of your life.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I love that. I can't wait to see that book. And when do you think it's going to be out?
0: Um, I am hoping by December.
1: Okay, so great. Um,
0: yeah, I will definitely let you know and I'll send you a copy as soon as it comes out.
1: Yeah. I'm really excited. It's going to be great. Um, And just a, just a question. So why are you deciding a unicorn? Why did I decide on a unicorn? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was just,
0: um, I thought that it was a a symbol of, let's say it's this animal or creature where the way it's uh, the definitive feature is the horn, because without the horn, I mean, if it's just a white unicorn, it could look like a horse. So I thought that it was a very, I wanted to use an animal rather than a real human. So I thought that it was um, the one thing that's kind of mystical. But on the other hand, it's, and I did want to be silly. I didn't want to, when I went through the other animals, my head, like a dog, a cat, this, it, I just kept coming back to a unicorn. And I thought that it would be so funny that a horn fell off. And then, you know, then you're kind of struggling with weight. My horn, it's on the outside and it's something you see, but I know how I feel on the inside.
1: Yeah, I know that. I think it's a great choice because the horn really represents what a unicorn is. So it's a great, it's, I I think it's definitely the right choice. So that's great. So I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see that book. So is there anything else you want to talk about before we end today? Um, Just if I were giving, something I didn't mention before with food
0: allergies um, and I know that probably 99% of food allergy parents do this, but I think you briefly touched on it, is having a, um, an emergency box in the classroom where that would just include all these kind of all kinds of different snacks that should a food activity come up that the teacher didn't let you know in advance, which happens once in a while, you know, where something happens where they're using, let's say, for whatever reason, there's a food coming into the classroom. Again, would it be a perfect world? And I have kind of lobbied for that. Would it be a perfect world to not bring food into the classroom, especially unannounced is, is I think, a very, it's dangerous nowadays to bring that in. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's nice that if a child has their own emergency box with, let's say, some prepackaged brownies and cookies and you know, different things that are their favorites, this way if something comes up, they don't have that feeling of, oh my God, now everyone's eating this and I can't have it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point because one of the things that I know that we do for my son is that we just, let's say the nurse will, or the teacher will say, spring in a whole box of, you know, let's say, like allergy-safe foods. So that in case something came up, we had backups. And they would even let me know when they're running out, when they're running low on it. Um, Because sometimes kids may forget, especially the younger kids. So I think that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Right,
0: My daughter's camp, when she was little um, at her day camp, something they did that I thought was amazing that I'm just happy to share with your audience is when it was someone's birthday, they gave out watermelon. That was the birthday treat. And it was amazing because everybody
1: had it. Yeah, so, that is a great idea. Yeah.
0: I realize what a wonderful thing that is, then, you know, that the whole class could share in the celebration. So I don't, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to tell a parent, you can't bring in what, it's your child's birthday. So I'm, I, I don't feel comfortable telling someone, you can't bring in what they like. But at the same time, I think it's nice when schools and camps implement a policy and say, this is what we give for birthdays. And it, when it's your birthday, your birthday, your birthday, everyone's having watermelon.
1: Right, right. Well, it's also good. It makes it easy too. And everyone's prepared as well. Yeah. I think that's that's also nice. You know, it's just, it's predictable. Right. So yeah. there's nothing else that comes up. So, and watermelon's always great, especially over yeah. the summer. Right. <laughs> so yeah, well, that's basically it. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much for being here today, Stephanie. I love, I always love talking to you, and I always love talking about all your books, thank which you. I love. Um, so thank you for listening today. Listen and learn with us at Language During Mealtime.